Are you scared? You should be. Hey, can I just say, this? I just want you to know, and wherever you're listening from, whether you're here in Dallas or, or at another campus, what a privilege it is. Uh, as I, I was singing and worshiping and just sitting here with you, uh, just thinking, man, what a privilege that so many young adults would give their life to worshiping God. And I know some of you are visitors and, and guests, and you may not know this God that we're singing to and talking to, but I just, I want you to know that I consider it a great privilege to get to open the word with you uh, this evening. How many of you are here for the very first time? Like, it's okay, no big deal. I'm not gonna make you stand up and sing or anything. Okay, that's a lot, a lot of you here for the very first time. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Praise God. Welcome. Hey, welcome home. Welcome to our home. I mean that. I pray you'd make it your home, and, and we're so glad uh, you're with us. Usually when you visit a church, you know, they talk of one of two things. It's either, uh, it's either money or hell, right? They're talking about one of those things, and we're not talking about money, so let's go. Uh, I wanna start with just a story that happened to me when, when my oldest daughter was two and a half years old and she was kind of going through that terrible two phase uh, that I'm sure you guys have heard about. And so she's about two and a half, she's a good kid, but going through a rough phase. And, and uh, I had had a rough day, you know, and, and so really busy back-to-back meetings. And then my truck broke down kind of right in the middle of that. And so, uh, you know, I took, it's never a good time for your car to break down. So I take my truck to the mechanic and I'm sitting there in the waiting room uh, and they, they finished doing whatever they need to do. So I was gonna be back on the road. That was good news the only good news this particular day. And as I go to pay the bill, uh, there's a bowl of lollipops right there. And so this is what's true about my two and a half year old at the time. Nobody has ever loved anything as much as she loves lollipops. I mean, it's, it's weird, this weird obsession. And so you could think about something that you love, uh, think about whether you have it or you really want it. But she just has this crazy, strange obsession for lollipops at this time in her life. And so I see that bowl, and just like any good dad would do, you know, I grabbed one for her, and, and I, I took that, and, and I put it in my coat pocket uh, on this particular day, and then I'm on my way home. And so I called Monica, my wife, on the way home, and, and she kind of answers the phone. My wife's usually cheerful and full of joy. She's kind of, hello, you know. I could tell something was wrong. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, oh, Presley just had a rough day today. And I'm like, well, what, what do you mean? Presley's my daughter, two and a half. Well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, she just wasn't kind to her sister, and she made some bad choices, and then she was disrespectful. And we kind of have this rule in our home. If you get in trouble with mommy multiple times, then you get in trouble with daddy when he gets home. And so I'm thinking, hey, after this long, rough day, the first thing I'm going to have to do when I get home is, is discipline my daughter, which is, which is unfortunate, right? And so uh, I, I keep going on the way home and I, and I get there and I walk in and I sit Presley down and I, and I just say, hey, you know what, what's going on? What did you do today? And she said, daddy, I had a rough day. <laughs> and I said, two and a half. And I said, man, it's hard to be two and a half, you know? And I, and I just said, well, what did you do? She said, I, I made some poor choices today. And I said, oh, I hate to hear that. I said, well, what did you do? And she said, you know, I was, I was disrespectful to mommy, and I talked back, and I was mean to, to Finley, and, and, I, and I did it. She begins to list out those things. I said, man, that's, that's, a, that's such a bummer, man. You know, and I, and I said, because, look, you know, I, I saw this today, and I pulled that out, and her eyes got this big. <laughs> and, I, and, and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, is that for me? I was like, well, I got it for you. She's like, Daddy, can I have it? Can I have it? Can I have it? And I said, no. I said, you you can't have it. See, I got this for you, but I, I can't give it to you. I can't come home and, and reward you for, for your behavior. And so I'm, I'm afraid you're not going to get that. And she looks at me and she goes, 
whatever I want. Really? And I'm thinking, you know, I never learned how to do an exorcism. I don't know <laughs> what just happened. What just happened? And, and I said, you can, and so let me just pause, because I've got some options now as a dad. I've got some things, I've got, I've got like a quiver full of disciplinary actions I can take. I'm like, is it spanking, is it hand, or is it spoon, or maybe we go belt for this one, or, 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 uh, or maybe, you know, you can sit in that chair, you know, for the rest of your life, or, or, or it's corner, or, or quiet time, time out, or maybe you're grounded from prom. I, I'm, I'm thinking, like, what am I going to do? But let, let me, as I, as I walk through the options, like, let me tell you what I didn't do. Like, imagine if I would have been like, hey, come with me. Let's, let's go to the front door, and I, I open the door, and, and I, I put her on the other side of it, and I say, man, it's been really fun being your dad, but this is the end. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is where it stops, and so you go that way, I'm going to go this way, no hard feelings, and you know, yeah, I wouldn't do that, right? Like, it's like some of you are like, how can you even say that, you know? And, and it's like, I would never do that. I would never be like, hey, you want to do that? Then we're done. No more communication forever. Because that, that wouldn't be a loving dad. That wouldn't be. But, but isn't that what God does? Isn't that kind of the doctrine of hell? That because you've done something wrong here, that at some point when you die, he cuts you off forever. There's, there's separation, no more communication, and, and not just that, but you probably heard some pretty horrific things, and lots of pain and, and agony and torment and, and suffering and fire and, and all the things that we think of when we think of hell. And so I want to be really honest with you tonight. We're moving into a series called The Afterlife, What Happens to You When You Die?, and my concern for us is we don't really deal with the topic of death a lot. Like in the, in, back in the day, someone would die right in the living room. They would die in the bedroom. They would die in the home. And you would handle the body and you would dig a hole in the back pasture and you would, you would bury them and you would see it. And most of us have never even been in the room when someone dies. It's very peripheral to our life today. It's very marginal from where we're at. We've outsourced that to the medical industry here in America. So we don't think about death a lot. Like a lot of you, maybe you're in your 20s and hell or heaven feels like a really long ways off. Because I tell you something, I, I, I um, had a friend die this week. An untimely death, pneumonia, took a turn for the worse. Nobody saw it coming. You have no idea when you're going to die. And because you exist now, you will exist somewhere forever. And we've got to deal with this doctrine, and I hate it, man. I hate it. I wish we didn't have to. I mean, we all know, I hate that some of you listening to this right now will be in hell one day. The weight of that is overwhelming to me. And you have friends that will be there. We have family that will be there. And the weight of that, if we really grasped it, would be completely overwhelming and terrifying to us. But we have to talk about it because the Bible talks about it. And so as we start this series, we're going to start with option one, 
and that is hell. And I wanna teach you truth from the scriptures. Jesus talked more about hell than everyone else in the Bible combined. More than half of his parables highlighted the doctrine of hell. He, he talked a lot about this. And so I, I do, as I said, I wish I could change this, right? And, and if you want to hear that it's not real and there's not a hell and you're not gonna go there, you don't have to go far. People are constantly trying to erase this doctrine. Uh, um, Rob Bell wrote a book called Love's Win, Love Wins that had a lot of traction and people listened to because it was, it was popular because there was some confusing ideas in it about hell. And then maybe you heard about the Pope's interview last week that made national news that, that he said there is no hell. Now I don't know if he said it or not, the Vatican issued a, a, a statement after the fact kind of recanting some of that. I, I don't know what happened there, but I will tell you if you wanna find somebody who says there is no hell, you will not have to go far, but you will not hear that from Jesus. When God was on the earth, he talked about hell a lot. He wanted you to know about it. And I think we have this obsession in some ways with the afterlife. Like whether somebody spends 23 minutes in hell or Colton Burpo's writing heaven is for real, I want you to know that hell is for real too. I think this is one of the reasons, you know, that the movie right now, I Can Only Imagine by Mercy Me, that song was so popular because it's talking about what happens in the afterlife. We have an obsession about it. And tonight I want you to know what is real. There, there's lots of different beliefs. I'll go through some of them real quick. There's the, uh, the belief of, of naturalism, which is the atheist worldview. That is that you die, you go in the ground, and worms eat you, you decay, and that's it. You cease to exist. There's annihilationism. This is kind of what they said, the Pope said. Uh, it's where you go to hell, and then you essentially just burn off. You, you disappear. There's universalism which it says that everyone will eventually go to heaven. Maybe you go to hell for a season, but you eventually go to heaven. There's reincarnation. If you're here and you are of the Hindu faith, you believe that you're going to die and then come back as either an animal, depending on how you lived, or as a person, or maybe even someone of nobility. There's the idea of the Catholic, Catholic doctrine of purgatory, this middle ground, this place where you go until you are prayed out of it, this, this place between heaven and hell, or, or someone pays your way out of their purgatory. And I can remember when young adults would say, hey, I don't wanna worship God because I don't wanna worship anyone who sends someone to hell. And I think the more common belief today is who cares? It's apathy. Eminem said there's a place called heaven and a place called hell, a place called prison and a place called jail. And daddy's on his way to all three of them except one. And I think that's really our, our posturing as, it, as, it, as we talk about this place, hell. It's like, eh, Maybe I'll go there, maybe I won't, and that's because we don't know what it is. You would never have that posturing if you understood what it is. I'm gonna be in Luke chapter 16, if you turn there. I'm gonna start in verse 19 of Luke chapter 16, turn to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, three books in. We're gonna look at three questions about hell from this story that Jesus tells. We're gonna look at what it is, who should be there and what we do about it. Jesus, he's uh, teaching the Pharisees. These are the religious people of the time. He's like, hey, let me tell you about a story about one of my favorite topics. We're gonna talk about hell. And so they're leaning in and, and this is what he says in verse 19. 
There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. What he just did is he put the Pharisees in the story. These were the first, uh, they were the originators of the prosperity gospel. They believed that if you were rich, you had a, a unique relationship with God, that God must love you, that's why you're wealthy. So this wealthy man who's dressed in purple, which was expensive clothes, okay, it's kind of like Prada Gucci of the time would be purple. And, and so that's what he's draped in. And, and he says he lives in a life of luxury every day. At the, his gate now, there's another man. He's a beggar. His name is Lazarus. He's covered in sores, and he's longing to eat what fell from this rich man's table. And even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lazarus, the name, is literally the one who God helped. The one whom God helped. And he's poor, and he's covered in sores, and he's hungry, and dogs come and lick his sores. So two men... The time came when the beggar died, Lazarus dies, and the angels came and carried him to Abraham's side. Okay, so Jesus is talking to Jews, and he wants to talk to them about heaven, so he talks to them about where Abraham, Father Abraham, all the Jews would have known Abraham, and he's like, hey, so now this man Lazarus is there with Abraham. Abraham's side, if you've studied theology, maybe you've heard it as Abraham's bosom. It's the waiting place, it's heaven, it's a place with God, a place of contentment, a place of great joy where we await for Jesus to come back here to make the new heavens and the new earth here. More about that next week. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, that's where he's at, in Hades, where he was in torment, you can underline torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony, underline that word, agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, Abraham says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. He says, hey, they have the Old Testament. They have the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Let, let them read from the prophets. They, they tell of where salvation can be found. And if they're not gonna listen to the Bible, they're not gonna listen even if someone raises from the dead. And so you have two men here, two deaths, two destinations, Abraham's side, Hades, or hell, Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, and we're talking about the afterlife, you have a place of comfort and a place of torment, a place of punishment and a place of peace and goodness. And we're gonna focus on the one of punishment this evening. Uh, the first question I wanna ask from this text is what is hell? 
What is hell? Let's talk about it, what it is. Let me start by saying what it's not. It's very simply, it's not anything remotely good. It is void of anything good, joyful, blissful, pleasant, peaceful, nice, kind, good, gentle, faithful, loving, Anything that would cross over the the positive line, it's not there. But Abraham replied, verse 25, son, remember in your life you received your good things. You got them here on this earth. So now you will have no good things. While Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted and you are in agony. And so while anyone who's not trusted in Christ on earth, they still even though they do not have God's Holy Spirit, still get to experience something called common grace. So there is no hell on earth. Let me explain what common grace is. There, there are things in this earth that are like commercials for God. It's, it's things that make you laugh, things that give you a feeling of peace and contentment, things that, that, that allow you to feel satisfied, simple things like satisfying your hunger or quenching your thirst watching a sunset, being generally protected, okay? This is God's common grace to you. And they're commercials for God that shows you, hey, you're being watched over and protected, that there's a creator who's looking over you. There is none of those things in hell. There's nothing that remotely resembles that in hell. There's nothing to numb your pain in hell. So some of you think, yeah, you know, I'm going to go to hell and party, drug, sex, and and hip-hop. No, it's no, no, no. None of those things exist in hell. And so if you're ever like, yeah, man, you know, so-and-so died. Hey, take a shot of Patron with Satan in my honor. What this text is telling you is there's nothing to even drink in hell. He's like, hey, Lazarus, go give me a drink. You know, I'm in agony. Oh, no shots of Patron. There are none of your sinful pleasures in hell. There's nothing that would bring you any relief. There's no drugs there. It is a place void of God's blessing, void of joy, void of community, void of pleasure, void of good. And then here's the real kicker, forever, forever, forever. It never goes away. It's not punishment for a season and then cease. It's forever. It's a place of torment and agony, verses 23, 24, and 25. Torment and agony. Jesus, when he talked about hell, he would use a metaphor. It was a literal place called Gehenna or the Valley of Hinnom. What it was was essentially the dump. It was a place outside the city where you would put garbage and dead people and dead animals. It it stunk there. And not just that, but people would practice child sacrifice there by fire to the God of Molech. They would take their babies there and set them on fire as a sacrifice to the God of Molech. It was a dark place, a wicked place, a nasty place, a dirty place. There were worms there and maggots there and you couldn't even stand the smell there. And Jesus says, hey, that's the closest thing I got to explain to you what hell is like. Remember Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, hell It's worse than that. 
And so to this, this story, it, it's, it takes place today before Jesus comes back. And in Revelation 20, Jesus talks about the lake of fire. And here's what I would tell you, is what is coming is only worse than what is in this text. That what's coming is, is only worse. And so hell is wanting and never being satisfied for eternity. Hell, hell is realizing the goodness that was available and your choice of evil. Don't you see what's going on? Is the rich man can see heaven. Like across this chasm, he sees Abraham and he sees Lazarus. Like the only thing worse than not getting into the party is sitting outside the party and watching everyone enjoy the fun that you could have had forever. You can see it. It's like eternal FOMO. You realize what you missed out on and it's right there in front of you. You know that it was available to you and they're having the most blissful, incredible time while you suffer forever. It's fixed and eternal. Hell is fixed and eternal. Verse 26, a great chasm. He says, and besides all of this, between us and you is a great chasm, which has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Can I just read to you one of the most horrific verses in all of the scripture? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says this, listen. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. See, it's, it's fixed. You, you gotta hear me on this. This is the danger of universalism or the Unitarian movement that says that everyone eventually goes to heaven. It's a heresy. Okay, that is not true, not supported by scriptures or anything that Jesus said. And, if, and we love it. We're really attracted to it. I wish it was true because, right, because then, then like, we could do away with this idea of hell. And, and it's, it feels loving. It feels loving to tell someone that. I liken it to, if, you, if anyone traveled internationally, Okay, have you ever been in, in like a, a third world airport or somewhere where you, you don't know the way and no one speaks your language? And, and I can remember, like I can I think back of uh, when I was coming back from Rwanda and I'm in this airport and I have no idea where to go and I can't find the, the guys that I came with. And so if, if you're just kind of going from gate to gate and I'm like, okay, I can't even make sense of this. And imagine you see me and I, I, I miss my family. Like I wanna get home to my wife and my children. I've been gone for 10 days and I just want to go see them. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And you come up to me and you're like, JP, what are you doing? Hey man, I, I, what's wrong? You seem frazzled. And I say, well, I just want to go home, man. I just want to go home and I don't know which gate, uh, which plane is going to take me home. And you say, oh bro, I got you. Listen, just choose a plane you like. Any of these will take you home. Just, just choose the one that looks the best to you. And you'll get there. And, and, and just say in that hypothetical situation, I believed you, what's gonna happen is it's gonna feel so loving. Man, are you serious? Any of these? Yeah, any of them. Choose one you like. They'll, they all go to Dallas, Texas, DFW. <laughs> oh, man, we're gonna hug. I'm gonna be like, thank you so much for loving me. 
and, and showing me the way home. That's such great news because I, I was scared I was going to choose the wrong one. And it's so great to know that any of them will get me home. Listen, I get on one of those planes and it takes me to North Korea or, or some place of unrest and I get off and they throw me in a cell and then they beat me for the rest of my life. You know what? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to think that was so loving. I'm like, man, why did you lead me astray? Why did you do that? Why did you tell me something that was uninformed just because it felt good? Just because it felt right? Hell is an awful place, and any illustration I could give you would fall short of the horrors. And so how can a loving God send anyone there? It's the second question is who should be there? Who should be in hell? What is God's standard for heaven? God's standard is perfection. He's a holy God. And so who should be in hell? You ready for this answer? Everyone. Everyone has fallen short of God's glory. Everyone should be there. Everyone deserves hell. We've all worshiped ourselves in place of a holy and mighty God. We, none of us ha have met his standards. We've all fallen short of his standards. And so the second that he put us here on this earth, right, you, you can look backwards on your life. Who, who here is satisfied with the way they pursued God today? Did, did everyone have the quiet time they had hoped? Did everyone pray as much as they had hoped? Did everyone study the scriptures as much as you would like? Did any, anybody get jealous of anyone today? Okay, anybody envy anyone's situation today? Anyone think about themselves a lot? Right, what if anybody who's ever Googled their own name goes to hell? We're all good, right? <laughs> anybody who's ever counted their likes on Instagram, they go to hell. You good? You safe? Right, we all want to worship ourselves. We don't wanna worship God, we want to be God. None of it, I mean, who shared the gospel with everyone they met with today? Who, who lived out the beliefs that they say that they have today? Who gave all of their money to the poor today? Who lived like there's a real eternity of heaven and you're gonna be with God forever and that's what matters most today? We all deserve hell. We all fall short of, of what God has called us to. And the goal is not that you would leave here and just stop doing those things, but that you would begin to ask why. Why don't I live out what I say that I believe? And so who should be there? Those who cannot see the cross past themselves. They should be there. Those who cannot see the cross past themselves. Do you see the delusionment, the disillusionment rather of this rich man? He's still giving orders. Lazarus, hey, give me a drink. I'm thirsty. It's like, dude, you're disillusioned. You're in hell. Lazarus, buddy, he's in heaven. He can't even get to you. And there's nothing to drink in hell. And this teaches us something really scary about sin, that it carries us to a place of self-obsession so that we can't even see the gospel. 
right? We can't even see the gospel. And what's dangerous about being where, where so many of us are, kind of the, the, what is left of the Bible Belt, is, is so many people here call themselves believers and say that they're Christians and followers of Jesus, but who really lives like they believe that this book is true? Who really dates, pursues purity, sobriety, Christ, evangelism, missions, who really lives like this book is, is true, like your life is really, we sing those songs, hey, my life, yeah, but who, who does it? We've missed God because we tried to become God. See, this, this rich man in the parable, he pursued his heaven here, and, and he used his resources to make himself more comfortable, and he overlooked the poor man at his gate. He said, no, no, he saw the guy with the sign, and he said, oh, well, you want money? It's my money, not your money. I'm gonna do everything I can to dress a little better, to drive something a little cooler, to live in a better place. I'm not sharing my stuff with anybody. He made his heaven here. He got caught up in the world. It says, son, verse 25, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And so what if today, Porch, what if we left this place and, and we began to live out what we say we believe? You guys, just you guys in the room and you guys in Fort Worth and you guys in Houston, El Paso, Tulsa, wherever you're at listening, you would change the world. You, you would start a revival. You would start a great awakening. If you just began to live like you say you believe, but so many of us were running to hell as fast as we can, trying to build our heaven here, our own personal kingdom here. Matthew 10, verse 39 says, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for Jesus' sake will find it. Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, I want to be your disciple. Jesus, I want to choose me, pick me, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. but we're so stuck on ourselves. We can't see Christ. The, the rich man in the story never even realized his need for saving. He didn't want God, and so why would God allow him to go somewhere that the greatest thing about it is that God's there? Like if you don't like spending time with God here, why do you hope that you're gonna go somewhere and spend eternity with God? Wait, how? He had his heaven here. This is why C.S. Lewis said that hell is locked from the inside. Because we, like two and a half year olds, are saying, I can do whatever I want. And we don't want to submit to God. And God says, fine, fine, I love you, I've pursued you, I've died for you, do whatever you want. There's those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, no, thy will be done. If you don't want me, then go to a place where nothing there will remind you of me. In fact, the only thing of God in hell is his wrath. The only thing of God in hell is his anger 
towards your sin. You know the only thing you can do in hell? Pay for your sins. You know who doesn't go to hell? Those whose sins have been paid for. It is that simple. It's interesting that while we don't like the doctrine of hell, so many of us agree that someone should be there. Hitler, yeah, man, he should go to hell, right? Child rapists, yeah, they they should go there, right? Murderers, serial killers, yeah, they should go. But but we draw the line, like, where, where should the line stop? Right in front of me, that's where it should stop, right? Like somewhere over there, like pornographers, I don't know about that. You know, those who have sex outside of marriage, ah, maybe not, you know? Wherever you want to draw the line right in front of you, I haven't done something as bad as they have, right? And that's the way that we, that we think about it. We want God to deal with evil. We just don't want him to deal with our evil. We want God to deal with wicked deeds, not just our deeds. Here's what you need to know. Every sin will be punished either in eternity or on the cross. And you have a choice. God in his great love and mercy towards you has allowed you to choose where you want your sin paid for. You can pay for it in eternity or you can acknowledge that it was paid for on the cross. And when you acknowledge that it was paid for on the cross, you get get to be with God forever in his kingdom. You become the sons and the daughters of God. God, this is what we just looked at at Easter. The cross of Easter, the empty tomb, that happened for you. Why? This is the craziest narrative in the world that God would allow his son to die. A God who controls everything would allow his son to be brutally murdered and tortured outside of a city to death. And he did it for you. Christ paying for your sins because none of us are good. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. The scripture says, Mark 10, verse 18, Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Romans 3, verses 10 and 12, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so who can get to heaven? Not those who are good, but those who have been forgiven. Those who have been forgiven. He answered, the rich man answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this terrible, terrible place. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Let them read their Bibles and trust their Bibles. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raises, rises from the dead. You, you guys remember, Jesus, Jesus raised someone from the dead. Do you remember that? You, you guys remember that? Anybody remember, you grew up in Sunday school or something, remember Jesus raised somebody from the dead, come forth, is John chapter 11. What was that guy's name? Oh, wow, it was Lazarus, wasn't it? It's like Jesus leaves this story and says, okay, we'll test your theory. 
and he raises a Lazarus from the dead. And you know what happened? Some people believed, but, but not the Pharisees. In fact, they wanted to kill Lazarus. It's, it's John uh, chapter 12, verses 10, 11. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. And so it's so interesting that some people see a dead man walking and they say, man, that guy, he's got, he's got to be God's son. And others see a dead man walking and they say, hey, let's kill him again. Uh, we're not going to follow this Jesus character. And it's also in this text a foreshadowing of Jesus coming back to life. Like if you're here and you're like, man, if God raised someone from the dead, I'd worship him. Would you look to Sunday? Because he did. And you shouldn't even know who Jesus is. But he did a pretty amazing thing coming out of that grave and became world famous. And so those who deny the message of the one who came back from the dead will be there. Those who deny the message of the one who came back from the dead will be there. Because as I said, every sin is paid for either in hell or on the cross. You can send that out to your friends, right? Tell people that every sin is paid for either in hell or on the cross. The only thing you do in hell is pay for sins. And so what about those who've never heard? What about you? What about babies? What about you? I'm sharing the gospel with a guy, and he said, man, I don't believe in God. I said, why not? He said, because not everybody's heard the gospel. I just, I can't get my head around that. Like, not everyone's heard the gospel, and so I just, I reject God. Like, if he's gonna send people to hell that have never heard who he is, and I'm just like, what about you? Have you heard the gospel? You, like, like, think about your argument. It breaks down. Are you gonna say, you know what, man, I'm, I'm no longer gonna take a paycheck, because not everybody gets a paycheck. So I'm, I'm just gonna stop taking one. You know what, I'm gonna live on the streets because not everyone has a house, so I'm gonna live on the streets. That, that, that's crazy. That is, that is a ludicrous idea. And they always say, well, what about you know, the, the Bushman in Africa? What about the, the tribal warrior in the Amazon? To which I said, you know what, man, I was in Africa. I was, I was in the bush, and I met a person who trusted Christ in their dream, bro. In their dream. Like God showed up in their dream and shared the gospel with them. And I've been on the Amazon. I've been to the Amazon jungle. I went down the Amazon River for six days, got off in a village where they told me, hey, these people have never heard about Jesus. I was so excited. I set foot off the boat. Hey, how are you doing? Have you heard of Jesus? And they pointed to a church they had just built. And they said, yeah. Yeah, we know Jesus. We just heard about him. We built that church to worship him. And so you want to talk about the person. I don't know about the person who has never heard, but what about the one who has? You're going to get up there and say, hey, God, the reason I rejected you is because some other people hadn't heard about you. Man, don't do that. Don't do that. This guy goes on to say, here's what I'd encourage you to do, buddy. I'd encourage you to think about Jesus. Like Jesus lived. I believe that there was a man named Jesus, but he was just a man. I said, really? Like Jesus Christ? He was just a man? Said, yeah, Jesus Christ was just a man. Born in Bethlehem? Yeah, born in Bethlehem. Lived in Nazareth? Yeah, that, that Jesus, just a man. Say, how do you know about Jesus? I, like, how do you even know who he is? He, he said, well, everyone knows about Jesus. I said, you just said they didn't. <laughs> I said, how do you know about Jesus? He said, well, you know. I mean, it's, it's written. Where? Where is it written? In the Bible. <laughs> Hold on. What does the Bible say about Jesus? Like, why would you embrace 
the book that says there was a Jesus and yet reject who the book says he was. How can you do that? You're gonna, you're gonna hold fast to some ideas but reject others? You get to choose what's true and what's not. Is that it? Like you're gonna take this and just kind of cut it apart and choose the, the verses you like and get rid of the ones you don't? How can you do that? And you say, okay, JP, if hell is so horrific, how can God send anyone there? It's the wrong question. How can a perfect, loving, good God allow any sinful person in his presence? How? How can a holy, righteous, perfect God allow anyone who's ever masturbated or been drunk or looked at pornography or had sex outside of marriage or cursed or stole or lied or cheated, how can that God allow any of those people in his presence? That we've been running from him since since we showed up on the scene and God, I mean, we've been running toward hell since we showed up on the scene and God in his mercy has changed some of our hearts. And you say, well, what about me? How do I know if he's changed my heart? Friend, would you consider where you are on a Tuesday night? You are, here's a reality check for you, bro. God loves you so much that he had you come on hell day. (laughs) You, You could've came on like, justification day, but you, you came on hell day. That's how much God loves you. That in his sovereignty, he has you here. He, he's provided a means for forgiveness. He's provided a way for everyone to get to him. He's a loving God. And it's, it's through Jesus. I was talking to a young lady yesterday, and I just asked her, you know, hey, did you celebrate Easter? She said, yeah. I said, what did you do? So it was with my family. It was a, it was a person I had just met at the um, Jim, and she said, yeah, I was with my family, went to church and whatnot, and I said, uh, I said, so you have a faith? So yeah, I said, hey, can I ask you two questions? She said, sure. I said, between one and 10, 10 being certain, one being not so sure, if you died today, how certain are you that you go to heaven? She said, oh, I'm a 10. I said, great, second question. God says, why should I let you in? What would you say? She said, because I love everyone. I, I'm, I'm really loving, I love people. And I said, do you think everyone who loves people goes to heaven? And she said, I think that's really foundational to getting there. And I said, you said you celebrated Easter yesterday. This was yesterday, so Easter was the day before. And she said, yeah, I celebrated Easter. I said, what happened on Easter? She said, Jesus died for our sins, raised from the dead. I said, well, why not that as your answer, that, that God paid for your sins? She said, well, it just feels so exclusive. Friends, you don't get to choose. Like, if heaven is God's place, he gets to choose how you get there. And and you don't get there by rejecting his pathway. That's foolish. That's that's really closed-minded of you. I would let the one who created heaven tell you how to get there. I would let the one who came from heaven show you the way to get there. And it's just like, you gotta trust. She's like, well, God is love. How do you know God is love? Where did you learn that God is love? Where does it say that God is love? Well, the Bible says that God is love. What else does the Bible say? It also says that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through him. Right? It says this idea that there's a hell, and you get there by telling people that the way they get to heaven is by being loving. Like, how can you choose what you believe that's in the Bible? 
You, you got like if the Bible said, hey, the way you get to heaven is do a, a thousand push-ups every day, then I would be completely ripped. <laughs> but that's not what it says. It says the way you get to heaven is by believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. See, God is just and he will not compromise his character. And, and justice requires a consequence or a payment for sin, a sentence. But God is loving and he paid the consequence through Jesus Christ. And so he is best for us and he will use anything to draw us to him, including an ultimatum. And you say, well, if God's gonna give me an ultimatum, man, screw it, I ain't going there. No, I'm not worshiping him. And buddy, you don't win. That's not wise. I would not bow up to the creator of the universe. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose. I think often we think that God hates those that go to hell. I, I love that Abraham calls the man in hell son. And this man, this rich man, his thirst will never be quenched. But Jesus says in John 6, 35, Jesus declared, he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I want you to know Jesus endured hell so that you don't have to. I talked to another young lady who, I said, do you believe in heaven? And she said, no. I said, do you believe in hell? She said, yeah. I said, how do you believe in hell and not heaven? She said, oh, I'm, I'm going to hell. I said, why, why would you say that you're going to hell? I said, man, I've just done some things. I've done some really terrible things. I said, have you heard of Jesus? Do you think Jesus Creator God is big enough to pay for the terrible things you did. See, and I shared the gospel. I said, that's what happened on the cross at Calvary is Christ paid for your sins and God raised him from the dead. She, she said, you mean that Jesus Christ paid for my sins so that I don't have to? I said, yeah. She said, wow, that's great news. And I said, you get it. You got it. Like, <laughs> like, praise God. It's great news. And so how should we respond? If this is hell, how should we respond? Listen, some of you need to hear this first part. How should you respond? This is what you need to hear tonight. This is the only thing you need to hear tonight. You trust in the one who is pointing you to life. You will not be able to endure this life correctly and you will not make it to eternal life with him without trusting in God's provision, his allotment in Jesus Christ, his son. 2,018 years ago, he came to the earth and reset the time. God is after you, you're here. He doesn't want you to get, go to hell. He is trying to communicate that to you right now. He loves you in the morning time. He turns on the lights for you. He's given you songs, a soundtrack played through birds and creation. He's given you the seasons. He, he grows flowers for you in the springtime. He brings you flowers. He's crazy about you. And right here in this text, you have a message from hell. It's a guy saying, hey, go tell them that they don't want to be here. He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. And I'm telling you, someone did raise from the dead and that is your way to get to eternal life. If you go back to that airport illustration, I'm there, you come up to me, you say, hey, choose the plane that you like the most, it's gonna get you to home. But then my other friend comes up and he says, no, JP, not all of these planes, that's crazy. Not all of these planes are gonna take you home. It's D7. You want gate D7. That what is, that's what's going to take you to Dallas. And that other person says, 
you're telling me just one plane? That's so close-minded. Why would you say such a thing? That's unloving. And, and here's the deal. The person who is saying D7 can say it with the confidence of knowing that I'm going to learn the truth. You get to share the gospel with somebody. Hey, you can choose Jesus Christ, believing that he died for your sins and God raised him from the dead. And if you do not choose that, you will go to hell. And I don't want you to go to hell, so I want you to choose Jesus. And when you share that, you know that that person is going to learn the truth. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and they will say, wow, thank you so much for loving me enough to show me that D7 is the only plane that's gonna take me home. Or they're gonna say, man, I wish I would have listened to you. But you get to share from the confidence of knowing that they will know the truth. And God tells us the truth, but we want freedom like Presley. And so what do we do? We serve others. That's you spend your life serving others like the rich man should have served Lazarus, not to be saved, but as evidence that you are saved so that they might become saved. And the rich man was here with excess when Lazarus had need and he ignored him. And so you don't love, love others so that you don't go to hell. You love others so that they don't go to hell. You point them to the way. What else do you do? You share with everyone. You share with everyone with the confidence that they are going to know the truth, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to heaven except by entering through the narrow gate that is Jesus Christ, believing that he paid for your sins so that you don't have to. It's the great exchange. Jesus got what you deserve, and if you believe that he got what you deserve on the cross, then you get what he deserves. You become a son and a daughter to God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You gain an etern eternal inheritance. You get to be with God forever. And so in summary, hell is not a place we wanna be. And everyone deserves to be there, but those who have trusted in God's provision through Jesus become sons and daughters of God. They get what Jesus deserves, trusting that Jesus got what they deserve. And thirdly, we respond to hell by trusting in God's word, serving others with our resources, and telling everyone we can the good news that Jesus Christ died in our place so that they can be with him so that we can be with him forever. What I did with my daughter when she said that is she said, I can do whatever I want. I said, really? I just grabbed the trash can. I said, hey, I just want you to look at that, okay? I'll be right back. I think she thought I was gonna throw her away, which I wouldn't do, but. I went, and I got some things, and I came back. I said, I got this for you today, but you lost it forever. And she looked at me, and she goes, I can do whatever I want. I said, I was afraid you were going to say that. See, I'm your daddy. I love you. I'm crazy about you. Man, I've got, I've got good things that you don't even know exist. And this is the good stuff. These are C's lollipops. I've had them in the utility room. I was gonna give them to you at just the right time. This is the good stuff, but you lost that forever, forever. And she didn't say anything. It, it began to click. That her daddy loves her and has good things for her. 
and her choices are only costing her her daddy's goodness, her daddy's grace, and her daddy's provision. Her daddy does not desire to rip her off, but to set her free, to show her life. She thinks at two and a half that she knows better than her daddy. And she doesn't, and it's foolish, and it's just as foolish when you do it. And so she lost out on the goodness that I had for her forever. But here's the deal. I'm crazy about my daughter, man. And I love to give her good things. This thing comes in its own carrying case. (laughs) This is a replica of the first one that I gave to her because I love her. Not on that day. I saved it for just the right time. Said, hey, I know you love lollipops. And I love to give you good things. So I thought we could share this one together. And you think her eyes were big when I pulled out that Tootsie Pop. I mean, you know, she was going crazy. And I say that because God has good things for you, better than you could ever imagine. And you're missing out on them by choosing the way that seems right to you, but in the end leads to death. Will you please stop? Right now, as we sing this last song, would you just say, God, all my life, laid it down. I want to be defined by Christ who was crucified for me. The life that I live in the body, I live by Christ. His power, his spirit. Your response to this, everyone, believer and non-believer alike, your response is surrender. Lord, this is my life. I want you to take it. So let me pray that you would. Father, I um, thank you that you're a God of grace. You're a God of good things. And you don't desire, you, you tell us in the scripture that you do not delight in sending anyone to hell. And that you're not slow in keeping your promises as some understand slowness, but you're patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Father, Tonight, I pray there's a wave through Dallas, Texas, and Houston, Texas, and Tulsa, Oklahoma, and El Paso, Texas, and Fort Worth, Texas, and all over the world, a a wave of young adults saying, Lord, here I am. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my will to you. I don't want to be like the rich man who enjoyed his pleasures on earth but missed out on them in eternity. I want to be like the beggar Lazarus. Lord, make us like the beggar Lazarus, begging for bread from your table so that we might dine with you for eternity. Lord, would you take our lives? We love you. We thank you for this text. We thank you for your son who spoke these words. It's in his name, Jesus' name. Amen.